Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. She went and told those who had been with him as they mourned and wept. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and bless her. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her. When they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you guys. Thanks for joining us for worship today here at the Vista. We are starting a new series uh, this morning through the summer called She Speaks. And um, what we're going to do over the next six weeks here is take a look at uh, some of the faithful women in Scripture that God has called and used in some very um, amazing ways and see what their lives have to speak, have to teach us as we seek to walk faithfully with the Lord. Quite honestly, this sermon series came about uh, when I was just kind of praying through um, where we need to go over the course of this next year, and me and Austin were thinking through different sermon series, and quite honestly, I just felt a little bit convicted because over the years here at the Vista, I have preached a number of different sermon series. Um, in, in hindsight, a lot of them have highlighted um, men, quite frankly. Uh, years ago, I did a series on the patriarchs, and we explored the life of the patriarchs and all that they have to teach us, both right and wrong. Uh, we looked then several years ago, I did a series called The Twelve in the summer, where we looked at the life of the twelve disciples. We took one disciple each week, and we um, unpacked that and talked about the life of the disciples. In the fall, I did a series called Storytime, where we looked at some of the more popular stories in all of Scripture, many of which are sort of boiled down to children's stories, but they all happen to, uh, again, the main character were, were men. So we looked at at Noah, and we looked at David, and we looked at Daniel, and, and uh, Zacchaeus. And, and so um, as I was thinking through this, uh, where we need to go, I thought, man, there are a lot of faithful women in Scripture that have been called by God and used by God, and their lives have every bit as much to teach us as these men do. And so for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at um, some women that God has called and used, some of which are uh, maybe women you haven't really even uh, explored much about their lives. Maybe you've kind of glanced over them. And so one of those is the one we're going to look at today, uh, this uh, lady named Anna. Um, her story is found in Luke chapter 2. If you have your Bibles and you want to turn to Luke chapter 2, um, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about this amazing faithful woman named Anna and what her life has to teach us. Before we do, as you're turning there, um, I'll get to Luke chapter 2 probably about halfway through my sermon. I'm giving you plenty of time to find it, right? Luke chapter 2, we'll get there eventually. My introduction this morning is quite long, and here's why. Um, anytime we're going to do a series or talk about um, God calling and using women, um, there, there's just some obvious questions that, that come about, specifically questions surrounding women's roles in leadership, women's roles specifically in the church. This has been a much debated topic um, for generations, quite frankly, um, as to what are the, 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 what is the calling, what are the proper roles, are there, should there even be designations of any specific roles of women? And so what I want to do as I start this morning is, is unpack this um, 
First and foremost, what I want to say is that this whole topic of women's roles in leadership in the church for us is uh, very much an open-handed topic. And here's what I mean by that. There are certain things um, that, that we call close-handed, which means that there's really not room for debate. There are things that distinctly make us Christians, that make us a Christian church. And those things really aren't up for debate, right? Um, the substitutionary death of Jesus at the cross for our sin um, is really not a, a debatable thing, right? Uh, there are others out there that say there's other ways to heaven. Those are other religions, other belief systems, but, but that's a close-handed thing. The doctrine of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that's a close-handed doctrine for us. And so we talk about these things in our Discover the Vista classes. We kind of lay out, look, these are the things that, that are close-handed. These are the things that we, that we have to agree on. But then at our church, there are a lot of things in an open hand. An open hand are things that uh, you and I can see differently according to Scripture. We can look at it from little different angles, different views, and that's okay. We don't have to break fellowship. It doesn't have to divide the church. Um, and so we would say that the role of women in the church for us, not for a lot of churches, but for us, this is an open-handed thing. We have people in our church that fall on different um, sides of this, you want to call it argument, um, including our own elders and our own staff that look at this from a few different, a few different ways. And so I want to let that be known uh, right out of the gate. Then I want to kind of lay out the two, the two basic views. Uh, one, the first one is called a complementarian view. A complementarian view uh, is a more traditional view, and here's what it says. The complementarian view says that God created men and women both in his image. They both bear the image of God in very unique and very special ways. Um, however, complementarians would say that God has ordained that men should be leaders specifically in the church and in the home. That, that it's not a hierarchical, God loves men more, nothing like that, but that it's a God-ordained sort of roles that they live out, and that men should lead in, specifically in the church and, and in the home, ideally. Um, in, in addition, I would say when it comes to the complementarian view, it's really important that you understand that that kind of leadership is not a domineering, dictatorial, heavy-handed kind of leadership. Uh, that in the complementarian view, according to Scripture, it's a leadership modeled by Christ, where you walk in humility and service, and it's a leadership spoken of by the Apostle Paul when he told uh, husbands to love your wives the way Christ loved the church and sacrificially gave himself up for her. Um, and so in the complementarian view, um, that, that's the kind of leadership. It's a different kind of leadership than the world teaches. And so um, the idea in a complementarian view is that men are called to lead specifically in the church. And they cite um, examples like the patriarchy of the Old Testament. They cite the fact that Jesus called uh, 12 disciples that he knew would go on and establish and lead the church. And those happen to be all men. And then a various text in, uh, in the New Testament where Paul is writing to the churches, uh, again, citing uh, male leadership in specifically regarding pastoral and elder leadership. So that's kind of the complementarian view. Uh, the egalitarian view is a view that says, no, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them equally, and uh, he, they'll, they'll, they'll cite, this is right, that uh, God took a rib from Adam's side. They are to be side by side. They're, to, they're co-equal in every way. Um, and that the only reason that there is hierarchy and male leadership later on in the Bible is um, after the fall. In Genesis chapter 3, when sin enters the equation, then you have the patriarchy of the Old Testament, right, uh, where there's male leadership. 
But prior to that, that was not the case. And so what they would say is the church is to be a picture of the coming kingdom of God, where we live out and embody the kingdom of God. And so therefore, we should be modeling and living out in the church um, God's original design, God's original intent. And so they would say uh, that there shouldn't be any preordained specific roles of, of men and then women, but that all are equal in every way. Uh, they would cite many of the, the fact Jesus chose 12 guys in Paul's letters um, as very cultural. Obviously, uh, first century, that was very cultural to have male leadership, but not a biblically ordained thing that is a must or a prescription for the way church should always be led. And then they'll cite verses also that Paul wrote that saying uh, that in Christ, there is neither uh, Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, but that in Christ, we're all, we're all one, okay? And so you can go uh, back and forth and they, they debate each other's verses and, and proof texting and all of that. You could, we could sit here and do that all day. The bottom line is that complementarians view uh, that God created men and women in his image, but that God has ordained that men should lead in the church specifically and in the home um, ideally. And then uh, egalitarians say no, that, they're, uh, that God doesn't necessarily prescribe or ordain that, that that's the way it played out a lot in the Bible, but that was mostly cultural um, and that the church should embody uh, both equal leadership, men and women, okay? So hopefully I've, I've laid that out and you understand that's, that's kind of the, the two big views. And here's what I want to say. Again, open-handed. So we're not asking you to pick a side this morning. We're not, we're not saying, now here's the camp that's right, okay? We're not, we're, not, we're not doing that. Here at the Vista, over the years, we have practiced um, what, I would, what I would call a soft complementarianism. And here's what I mean by that. It is true that we have currently and have always had male elders, We've never had female elders. We've never had a female in the role of lead pastor. However, uh, there are a lot of places in our church where um, strong complementarian churches um, don't allow, don't permit maybe women to uh, serve or do some things that we are absolutely fine with. So, for example, we have women that lead uh, small groups and teach, therefore, over, over men. We have women that lead us um, and help to lead us in worship week in and week out from the stage. We have women, as you saw last week, that performed the ordinances like baptism. Um, we have women that serve on our church staff, and we're actually looking to add more women uh, in some pastoral capacities onto our church staff. Um, we have women that serve on every other team in the church and lead other teams in the church. Um, and so we were one of the first churches, in fact, over a decade ago, a complementarian church that had women in the official office of deacon in the church. And so um, in a lot of ways, I would say we're soft complementarian because we don't have women elders, but, uh, but we, are, uh, we, we actually have women that serve in many other capacities. And what I would tell you is I can tell you that we have had people that have left our church um, over the years because we are not uh, complementarian enough. And we've had people that have left our church because we are not egalitarian enough. Um, there have been some that say because we, um, because we don't have female elders, they just can't be here and they, and they leave. We've had others that say, well, we allow women to teach in small group and we allow women to perform the ordinances and therefore you're not being biblical enough. And so the bottom line is this. If you're looking to be offended, here at the Vista, we can offend you, right? We can, <laughs> we are, we can offend everybody. That's what we're good at, right? We can make everybody mad. Um, and so there are those that have been upset with us uh, on, on both sides, quite honestly. And uh, we're also, we readily admit, this is from the elders on down, that we, we don't always get it right. Um, in fact, I would say we acknowledge 
both complementarian and egalitarian in the room, that we can do better, that we need to do better when it comes to empowering women to lead and to live out their calling that God has placed on their lives. And so we're working towards that. Um, we don't have our heads in the sand in regard to this issue. Uh, we're actually reading several books right now as elders together, and we are praying and seeking the Word of God for where we need to go moving forward as a church. One of the chief roles of elder in the Bible is to maintain the unity in the church. And so that is something that becomes very difficult when we practice a sort of, a, we'll call it denominational diversity here, which we love. We have people from Catholic and Baptist and Bible church backgrounds that, that tend to be more complementarian. Then we have people from Lutheran and, and Methodist and other backgrounds, non-denominational backgrounds that tend to be uh, a lot of times more egalitarian. And so our goal and our, what we try to do is say, listen, we want to maintain unity in the church and we don't feel like this needs to be, it has to be something that is unbelievably divisive the way that it, the way that it has been. And, and so again, not asking you to, to pick a team. I will just say this. Let me speak to both groups as lovingly as I possibly can. I'll paint with some broad strokes here, but what happens a lot of times with strong complementarians is they'll look at egalitarians and they'll say, well, they just don't love the Bible. They just don't appreciate scripture. They just don't hold the Bible in a high enough regard. And so everything that, that they don't like, they just chalk it up to cultural. And so they just don't love the Bible. And, and what I would say to you, if that's you, complementarian, as lovingly as I can as your pastor, is you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. And here's what I mean by that. There are, uh, listen, a lot of egalitarians, I, I have very dear friends, again, even on our staff, that are strongly egalitarian, and they love the Bible, and they love the scriptures, and they hold the scripture in just as high a regard as you do. They're just looking at it through some different lenses and coming at it from a different view, but it's not that they don't love the Bible. It's not that they don't just, you know, care about scripture. And so we've got to stop painting with these broad strokes that say, well, if you don't agree with me, you don't love the Bible like I do, Right? At the same time, I would say to the egalitarians, one of the big views among egalitarians is that complementarians, they just don't love women. They don't care about women. They don't, they don't appreciate women. They just want to kind of keep them down and keep them in these subservient roles so they can hold on to authority and power. And so complementarians just don't care about women. And I would tell you, again, as lovingly as I know how, that you're wrong. You're wrong. Um, a lot of, there are, uh, first and foremost, there are a lot of complementarian women in our church that, that, are, that are strongly, that's the, what they see as most faithful to Scripture. In addition, I don't have time to unpack all the intricacies of either one of these uh, views, but complementarians, a lot of them believe that rightly understood when uh, complementarianism and male leadership is lived out the way Christ talks about, the way Christ modeled, it's a subservient, sacrificial kind of leadership that that, that elevates the status and the position of women. And so the groups kind of go back and forth and they, they can argue, and, and hear, but again, what we want to hear you, uh, what we want you to hear us say is that for us, that this is very much an open-handed issue. We know there are people that come at this from different views. And as elders, we would covet your prayers as we wade through these waters. We seek to maintain unity in the church, and we prayerfully consider how God would have us move forward as a church in the future. Um, this is very, very important to us and, and a role that we take very, very seriously. So hopefully I have, uh, I've laid that out as clearly as I can. That's my introduction. I don't know how much time I have left to actually preach my sermon now like 15 minutes or something. So um, Luke chapter two, all right? Luke chapter two. Um, Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. You're familiar with the Christmas story. Uh, Jesus is still a, a baby 
And Mary and Joseph, being faithful to the Lord and faithful to uh, the practices of every good Jewish family, they are now bringing baby Jesus to Jerusalem to be dedicated there at the temple. Um, and so they bring Jesus from Nazareth. We see their dedication in that they travel, which would not have been an easy journey with an infant, right? It's hard enough traveling with an infant in a car seat in a car, much less on a donkey or whatever, right? And so they travel from Nazareth, and they go to Jerusalem to take baby Jesus to the temple to have him dedicated there. They get to the temple in Jerusalem, and Simeon is there. Simeon is the priest, and Simeon is pronouncing this blessing over Jesus, which was normal, which was customary. And right at the time he's pronouncing the blessing, this wonderfully faithful elderly widow named Anna happens to come up, happens to walk by. We have three verses that tell us about this lady named Anna. She's not found anywhere else in Scripture. Three short verses is all we have about this woman. But I would submit to you that in three short verses, we learn a lot about Anna. And, and, and what we learn is deeply challenging for our own faith and walk with the Lord. So I'll read the verses here in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 36. We are introduced to Anna. It says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping, fasting, and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. That is all the information we get about Anna. And again, there is so much there in three short verses uh, that we can sort of pull from her life that I think are deeply challenging to us. Her life speaks volumes to us. The first thing the Bible says about her as, as she is introduced is that she is a prophetess, a prophetess. Now, um, sometimes we think of the idea of a prophet as someone who like predicts the future, right? Like there's some kind of spiritual fortune teller, right? That is not what uh, a prophet is biblically right? That is not what Luke has in mind when he describes her as a prophetess. A prophet, in the biblical sense, was someone who proclaimed the word of the Lord to others. That's the basic definition of a prophet. Someone who spoke on behalf of God, uh, preached, proclaimed, declared, taught the word of God to others. They unpacked the, God's word to, to other people, uh, many of which were illiterate, couldn't read the word for themselves. And so that is what a prophet was. They spoke for God. They declared the word of the Lord. Um, so a prophetess is a woman who does the same thing. A woman who uh, speaks the word of the Lord, teaches, declares, proclaims the word of the Lord to others. When I mentioned um, earlier that we uh, feel like there's some areas we can improve and get better in, one thing we all agree on, we've never had a woman preach here at the Vista. Just haven't ever had, a, any, ha, never had that happen. And so one of the things we thought, you know, this would be a great series. Later um, in this series, um, Sarah Hammond, who is our women's ministry leader, is actually going to be preaching um, here at the Vista coming up in about, about a month, a little more than a month. Um, because again, this is one of those things when you look at the Bible, you see clearly there were some women that were called prophetesses. They, they proclaimed, taught, declared, preached the word of God to others. There's five women in the Old Testament that were, that were called prophetesses and some others then in the New. And so for us, it's one of those things going, man, Sarah is here. She's faithfully leading our women's ministry. She's an unbelievable teacher. Many of you ladies have sat under her teaching and um, we thought this would be a great opportunity 
But coming up here in about um, in a little over a month, again, Sarah is going to be preaching and, and talking about one of these um, other ladies for us. And I'm excited about that. It's going to be it's going to be amazing. Anna, the very first thing the Bible says about her, she was a prophetess, someone who declared and proclaimed the word of God to others. As such, she would have been um, very familiar with the word of God, studied the word of God, loved the word of God. She would have been very familiar with the promises and the prophecies about the coming Messiah and longing and hoping with great anticipation the day that the Messiah was going to, was going to come. And so the first thing we hear is that she is a woman who loved God's word and she proclaimed God's word to others. The second thing that we learn about her is that she was a widow. She was a, an older widow. It says that she lived with her husband uh, seven years from when she was a virgin. Many times back then, uh, they got married very early, po- probably in her mid, maybe even early teens, which means that by the time she was in her early 20s, she was already a widow. Her husband had tragically died, and um, she never remarried. And now she is 84. 84, and she has been a widow ever since. Um, Widowhood, in that day and time in particular, would have been a very, very difficult life. It almost guaranteed a life of extreme poverty. Um, Again, Anna didn't live a cush life. She didn't live a, a comfortable existence. It would have been a very hard, very difficult life, most likely living in a lot of poverty. But what we see is in spite of that, she was unbelievably faithful. She was unbelievably faithful. In fact, the next thing the Bible says about her is that she didn't depart from the temple. She didn't depart from the temple. That she served the Lord and his people at the temple. So follow me on this. She encounters tragedy early on in her life where her husband dies. She never remarries and lives in a lot of poverty. But she doesn't use her situation, her circumstances in life as a reason to blame God, run from God, get angry at God, shake her fist at God. Why me, God? In fact, she does just the opposite, and she runs to God, and she pursues the Lord with all that she is. I mean, what a great testimony of someone that encounters difficulty and hardship and trial and pain and suffering like we all will from time to time. But rather than running from God, she runs to God. She's faithful in the temple. She's faithfully serving God's people over the course of 60-plus years, never departing from the temple. She's always at the Lord's house. I read some things this week that indicated uh, there were built into the temple courts some like apartment buildings. In fact, Isaiah, I mean, uh, Nehemiah, when they're talking about rebuilding the temple, talks about some living quarters that were connected there. And usually those were for the priest, of course, also some groundskeepers and servants. It's very possible that Anna had become an official sort of servant of the temple where she cared for the priest, cared for maybe the grounds um, in one way or another, and she was obviously a servant teaching others. And so it's very possible that Anna literally never departed from the temple, that she lived there on the grounds, faithfully served again for 60 plus years of her life. We see her service to the Lord. And um, what, what I love about this is that 